This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Welcome to everyone who's online this morning. So glad that you guys could be with us and I realise that our whole program just entirely crashed. So if you're still with us, good, good to have you with us. Well, this morning we are wrapping up our series called, uh, in, in, um, in the Gospels called The Way, Lives Ordered Around the Way of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to be speaking on the topic of Sabbath resistance. So I'm going to pray. Is that all right? Can I pray for us? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who works and then rests. Not because you're tired, but because you delight in what you have made. And Father, we live in a world that is so relentlessly busy. And many of us have walked into this room this morning simply exhausted. And Father, I pray that you would meet us today where we're at. In our exhaustion and our tiredness and our frustration. And offer us a way of living that brings life. A way of living that is like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would speak to every single person in the room this morning, no matter where we're at or online, no matter where we're at on our spiritual journey. God, I pray that you would help us to see a way of living that is running with the grain of this universe that you have made. So God, I pray you would speak now through your word. We want to come with expectation that you will do that. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, that, um, that little bumper video that we show every week is there to remind you of some of the rhythms that we want to be living together as a church family. Life in the Spirit, Scripture meditation, abiding prayer, attentive obedience, uh, embodied community, generous justice, uh, incarnational mission. And this morning, I want to talk about the topic of Sabbath, of rest. You know, if we want to live lives that are going to be radically different from the culture around us, the only thing that we really need to do is to slow down. right? If, if you want to take a bit of a litmus test of what's happening in our city and in our lives at the moment, it is just that we are relentlessly busy. And if we want to be different, all you have to do is slow down begin to work on your inner interior life and live a life from a posture of rest and the peace that James so helpfully reminded us of this morning. But as I talk about the topic of rest and Sabbath this morning, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, you don't get it, Matt. You don't get what it's like to be in my shoes. You don't get what it's like to work in the corporate world. If, if, you, if you had a corporate job, Matt, you would know what it's really like. The corporate world is demanding. I'm working like anywhere between 60 to 80 hours a week. My job is demanding. Either my boss has these ridiculous expectations, the corporate culture is always on, my work emails are on my phone, or I'm in a position of leadership and there are people depending on me. I have to work Saturdays. And if I want to walk up this career ladder and path, this is just part and parcel of what it's like. You don't get what it means to be part of the corporate world. Perhaps that's true. I did a little stint in the corporate world many years ago, but I don't get what it's like. Or, or maybe you say, well, 
You don't understand what it's like to be a parent of three kids. Well, actually, I, I do. That one I can resonate with. But for all of the parents in the room, you're like, rest. I will rest when my children leave home at 18. That's when I will get to rest. As a parent, you are always on. You come home from work and it's not like you can just put your feet up, eat dinner and then rest for the rest of the evening. It's like this relentless hustle of trying to get the kids into bed. And then when they're in bed, you've got to do all the housework and then you you go to sleep. You wake up the next day. The same cycle of parenting continues. You're like, rest. Rest never happens. Maybe rest happens Once every year when we send the kids to grandma and grandpa's house for a sleepover and we get a little night by ourselves or the single mums, single parents in the room, like rest, that's unheard of. Or maybe you're a student and everyone else is like, students, give me a break. No, some some students, believe it or not, don't live at home with mum and dad and have mum cooking seven meals a night for them. You might be thinking, well, I'm a student here and I've left my family back in rural Australia or in another part of Australia or I'm an international student and you don't know what it's like. I'm working two jobs on top of my double degree and I have to pay rent in the inner west, which is exorbitant. And I've got to work a job to do that on top of my studies. And then in my holidays, I'm doing an unpaid internship, getting ready for the corporate rat race, the cycle. I'm on the the hamster wheel. It's just not going to end. Like rest. Where do I fit rest into my busy schedule? For many of us, it feels like we are juggling multiple plates and we're running from one spinning plate to the next one in the hopes that we're not going to drop all of them. And then when we do, we have a bit of a breakdown and a moment of realizing that we just can't do this. Now, I've got to be really honest with you, church, this morning. I feel like a bit of a hypocrite preaching a message on Sabbath and rest to you this morning. I've had a busy month. And in fact, I've had a busy eight years. Church planting is busy. Being a dad is busy. Trying to study a master's on top of church work is busy, right? So, But I feel like a bit of a hypocrite standing in front of you trying to tell you about rest and Sabbath after the month that I've had. But you know, the old saying is, you teach best what you need to learn most. And I am a humble learner alongside of you this morning in the relentless rat race that we call life. And my hope this morning is to bring some perspective and some hope to those of you who are struggling, to those of you who are struggling this morning with busyness. You know, it's true that we live in a, in a culture that is always on, a 24-7 economy. Like you can shop whatever point, at whatever point of the day you can go online and shop. You can do something at any point, at any time of the day. There is something that demands your attention and engages you. You go to the gym and you'll find a slogan that says, don't stop when you're tired, stop when you're done. Now, that might be good for a workout, but when you take that slogan and put it in an office corporate environment, that is crushing. Don't, the work is never done. We've, the, the to-do list is endless. When you finish one project, sure, the project is completed, but there's a thousand other projects that are waiting for you to do. Don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done is a crushing motto of our relentless, productive, industrialized world that wants to turn us into machines that simply just produce outputs. 
You know, our Elon Musk has very famously said, if you want to change the world, you need to work. How, how many hours? Does anyone know the quote? How many hours does Musk recommend you need to work? 100 hours a week. That's right. He said, if you want to change the world, you need to work 100 hours a week. Just so you know, that's 14 hours a day, seven days a week. That, that st- and look, he got in a lot of trouble on Twitter for saying that. You know, someone pointed out that the, the reason that we discovered penicillin was a scientist left a Petri dish on the windowsill and went on holidays, right? And came back and discovered one of modern science's most significant breakthroughs because he had a break, right? There's, there's, there's wisdom in resting from the work. But that's the motto, right? That, that is the perception we get from our world is that if, if you want to do something significant, you have to work relentlessly to achieve it. Even this week, we've seen our midwives and nurses stand up and say, enough. We are exhausted. We are working too many hours. There's a shortage. Help us, please. Now, one of the positives that I've heard that came out of lockdowns, and there have been negatives for sure, but one of the positives that have come out of it is people have said to me time and time again, it was really nice not to have anything in the calendar. It was nice not to have to rush from event to event to event to event. And I got to be at home with my kids. I wasn't so busy. Some people, in fact, are so exhausted that you're hoping that you will get COVID so you can have a week in bed and an excuse for staying at home, right? We are tired. We are, we are on the relentless, red-lined portion of our life. And, and we live in a pocket of city that is particularly ambitious and driven. So what is the solution? What is the solution to this? Well, for some, the solution is I'm going to install a mindfulness app on my phone and I'm going to decompress at the end of the day. I'm going to listen to my mindfulness app. And there's nothing against a, an app. Yes, mindfulness can be helpful. Or for some of, of you, it's like we're going to move to a regional center because the city is, it's, the, the pace is too much. I'm going to move to Orange I'm going to move to Wellington. I'm just going to move somewhere where the pace of life is slower and I don't have to waste two hours of my day sitting in traffic commuting. For some, it's a career change. But what do we do if none of those are particular options for you? What, if you do, what, what do you do if you have to work the job that you're working and it is demanding? You see, those solutions are simply solutions to do with our circumstances. Is there something that we can do internally that will help Equip us to live lives in this age. Well, I want to suggest to you that part of the solution is Sabbath resistance. Sabbath resistance. Now, that word Sabbath is a religious word. It's, we, we have, obviously it's in English, right? But that's just a transliteration of the Greek terms and the Hebrew terms, Shabbat and Sabbath. But Sabbath is a word that simply means to cease to stop, to pause. In Genesis chapter 2, 1, 1 to 3, we read the account of God creating the world and He creates a day or he, he creates something at the end of the day. He looks back on His day and says it's good. He gets to the end of the sixth day. The culmination of God's creative purposes is humanity. We are created in God's image. He says it's very good. And then on the seventh day, what does God do? He rests. 
he rests. He, he ceases from his work. And he doesn't do that because he's tired. He doesn't do that because he's run out of energy. He's like, man, that, those last six, day, six days were so exhausting. I need a day to put my feet up and recover from you know, creating the whole of the universe. It was a tough job. Give me a rest, a hard-earned thirst. That's not what God has to do. He has an infinite supply of energy to continue to work endlessly. He's an infinite God. But God rests. And why does he do that? He rests to delight in and enjoy his creative work. That's why he rests. He rests to stop and look back on the last six days and go, man, that is good. It's very good. And he delights in his work. That's why God rests. And then later on, God will tie his rest to Israel's rest. In fact, we get two times where the Sabbath is commanded in the Old Testament. Two times that the law is given in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. And I want to take you to the Exodus account first. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Not making it holy, by keeping it holy. See, God defined the very first thing that God called holy in the existence of the universe was the Sabbath. He made a period of time holy, set apart, distinct from the other days. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, is a pause, is a rest to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. Even the animals get to partake in a day of rest or the foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God invites his people into his rest. Because God rested, we rest. Our reality is we do get tired. We do get uh, exhausted. We have a finite amount of energy that gets depleted and needs to be re-energized. Unlike God, but we rest in the same way that God rested. God has built into the fabric of creation a pattern and a rhythm for how lives ought to be lived. The second time that God commands Israel to rest is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the verse won't be on the screen, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God gives a very different reason for why Israel ought to rest. The first reason is this idea that rest is part of the creation order. The second reason that God gives is because he has redeemed them. He says, because you were slaves in Egypt and I brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you should rest in remembrance of what I have done. I have rescued you and saved you from slavery. Why is Sabbath connected with redemption? It seems like a weird connection there. Well, let's remember what Israel was saved from. They were slaves for 400 years under the harsh rule of the pharaohs made to work and build Egypt every day, seven days a week, 
for 400 years. And as God rescues them out of slavery, He invites them into a rest. He invites them into an entirely new way of living, a way that lines up with His pattern for what humanity should look like. And He says, come, I have rescued you. Remember what I have done. Part of this remembrance is that you were slaves working seven days a week, no longer. I'm inviting you into a rest and I'm, I'm promising you the rest of the promised land. Sabbath is a gift that God gives his people. It's a gift. Now you might be thinking, well, sure, fair enough for Israel. That's great. But what about us? Do we have to do all of the things that God told Israel to do? Does that mean that we should participate in law obedience? Now, I want to say that views on the law and views on the Sabbath, uh, there are so many. There is so much disagreement on the place of the law in the life of the Christian. But when it comes to the Sabbath, there are three predominant positions about the Sabbath and about Sabbath observance for Christian people. The first sees that the law is broken up into three different components. There is the civil law, laws that relate to Israel as a theocracy, right? God is their king. And because God is the king of Israel, there is no earthly king. It's a theocracy. There are a bunch of civil laws about how this nation ought to be governed under God. There are other laws that are called ceremonial laws, which are laws that are related to temple worship. That's the priests, the sacrifices, all that kind of stuff. And then... There's a part of the law that's called the moral law. Laws that are things like do not murder, right? That is true. That is wrong, irrespective of what background you have, what religion you believe in. Do not murder is part of the moral law. And so people would say that whilst the civil law and the ceremonial law do not follow through to the New Testament, the moral law does. And we are obliged to obey the moral aspects of the law. And since the Sabbath is a part of the Ten Commandments, right, it's part of the moral law, therefore we should observe a Sabbath day. Most Christians would say that we now don't gather on the Saturday, the seventh day of the week. We are people of the resurrection. We gather on the Lord's Day. They'll quote some verses from Revelation and, and a few other smatterings across the New Testament where it says that the church gathered on the Lord's Day, the resurrection day. And so for the most part, you know, the Protestant church has gathered to worship on a Sunday. And people would say that that is part of our requirement to gather together, to set aside a day for worship, for community on a Sunday. And there was a big split, right? Constantine came and made the church, the, the whole world Christian and then gave us a two-day weekend because they couldn't decide which day Christians should worship on. So they said, right, have both, whatever. There you go. <laughs> so thank you for a two-day weekend. So that, that is one one way of understanding how we relate to the Old Testament law. The second is that the Sabbath forms part of what's called a creation ordinance. That there are things that God has established in the creation of the world. Things like marriage, right? We read in Genesis chapters 1 to 3 that God made male and female, that a man shall leave his father and mother, the two shall be joined, become one flesh. All of that stuff is a part of creation ordinance. Marriage is a gift that God gives to humanity for the flourishing of humanity. And some would say that Sabbath falls into that category. 
that there is something here about the fabric of creation. That God has made us in a certain way that humanity is designed to work on a pattern of six and rest on one. That's a part of what it means. That's one way of interpreting it. The final way is to say that all of these laws, every law that we find in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. In the same way that the sacrificial system where people would come and offer a lamb that the blood would be shed has been fulfilled in Christ because he is the lamb of God. It means we don't need to repeat the sacrifices over and over again. Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is, and Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus is the one forever sacrifice, never to be repeated again. So in the sense that Jesus fulfills that sacrificial system in his death on the cross, all of these old covenant laws are fulfilled in Christ. That there is a rest that was hinted at in the promised land. When God says, I will give you rest in the promised land, that is a sign, a signpost that points us forward to a, a greater rest that still exists. And Jesus comes, and we'll see this in a second. He offers a rest, but again, that is also pointing forward to this ultimate rest when God is going to recreate the whole world and marry heaven and earth together again. Those are really the three ways that Christians have sought to figure out what do we do with the Old Testament law. It's either part of the moral law, so we need to observe it. It's part of a creation ordinance, so we need to observe it. Or Christ has fulfilled this. There is no longer any requirement on the Christian, the new covenant believer, to observe a Sabbath. Now, if you want to dig deep into all of the nerdy theology around that, I can post some articles up on our Facebook group. But I just want to say that I probably fall somewhere between two and three. I'm going to have my cake and eat it as well. I'm not sure they're mutually exclusive. And I think irrespective of whether or not you think the Sabbath should be observed, there is still so much wisdom in it for us. But what about Jesus? How did Jesus respond to the Sabbath day? And you would be forgiven for thinking, if you've read any of the New Testament, the, the, the four Gospels, Jesus, surely, if there was any rhythm that we've spoken about on these last eight or nine weeks, this is the one that Jesus didn't do. You would be forgiven for thinking that Jesus actively and intentionally broke the Sabbath laws. Because time and time again, one of the primary fronts of the battle between Jesus and the religious leaders is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. This is one area where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had clearly added to the original law. They, they were so paranoid about breaking the law that they built a fence around God's word. They added to it with the traditions of man and it's called, and let me get this right, the halakha. That's a fence that they've created around the law in order to prevent you from even getting close to breaking the law. And so they had added all of these extra requirements to the law, to the Sabbath day requirements that were functioning in Jesus' day. And they acted as a heavy burden that the people of God carried. And often when Jesus comes and breaks some of the Sabbath commandments, what he's actually doing is just breaking the requirements that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had laid on top of the law and not the law itself. Jesus walked obediently before the Father, including the Sabbath. 
Have a look at what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is uh, the only verse I could really find in the Gospels where we see Jesus actually practicing the Sabbath. It says this, Luke 4, 16. He went up to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, his hometown, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. As was his custom, his routine, his habit, his pattern was to attend Sabbath in the synagogue with his family. And this is probably the synagogue that Jesus grew up attending. This is the one that, by, by all measures, this is the one that he went to, his home Sabbath, his family synagogue. And we see there that it was a part of Jesus' regular rhythm as a good Hebrew brought up in a Hebrew family to go to synagogue on Sabbath. Now, a synagogue uh, is, is not the temple, right? The temple was one site in Jerusalem and people would travel from wherever they were back to the temple for certain festivals and feasts. But almost everywhere the Jews scattered, they built little synagogues, like little, little churches, and a synagogue service would um, have some readings from the law and the prophets, a sermon, some prayers. Maybe they might even sing a psalm or something of that description. And Jesus was very much embedded in that culture. He went to synagogue on Sabbath and participated in worship. Now, nearly all of the other examples of Jesus and Sabbath are confrontations that he has with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Healing on a Sabbath, picking grain on a Sabbath, doing something on the Sabbath, and there is a confrontation that exists there. But I want, us to draw, I want to draw your attention to one particularly important instance where Jesus confronts the Pharisees on their Sabbath observance. And it's in Mark chapter, tw uh, chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. Jesus is traveling he is walking through a field. His disciples pick some grain and they roll it in their fingers and they eat it. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they immediately begin to accuse and point the finger. And Jesus points them back to David. He says, hey, remember, remember when David was hungry and he walked into the temple and ate some of the, the consecrated bread that was set aside for the priests? And then he says this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he says this, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus critiques their first century practice of Sabbath, not because the Sabbath is unimportant, not because the Sabbath is not to be observed, but because the Pharisees have got their priorities wrong. He's saying this, the Sabbath's intended as a blessing for humanity. It's a gift from God, not the other way around. Right? It's not that, that man has to bow to the demands of the Sabbath. You've got it all wrong. Your priorities are wrong. The priority is people. God has given this as a gift. And so we do not serve Sabbath. Sabbath serves us as a gift. Jesus is questioning their priorities, not undoing the Sabbath altogether. Remember, it says that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not even the dot on top of an I was, should be taken away from the law. Jesus did all of it. He 
declares himself as Lord of the Sabbath, the one who stands above the law. In fact, the one through whom the law was given and his life lived in perfect obedience, the law is summed up in entirely and fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And yet he will say that there is something greater than this day of rest. There is a reality that this weekly observance is pointing us forward to. And we do need rest, right? We are created as finite beings. We do not have an unlimited source of energy. We need sleep. Sleep is a good gift from God, right? We know neuroscience is telling us that when you sleep, your brain is doing all sorts of defragging and building memory and helping you, you know, store stuff in there. Long-term memory, short-term memory being stored. Sleep is important. But we need something more than a holiday and a good night's rest. Yes, our bodies may feel exhausted, but we, we need something more than a rest for the body. We need a rest for our souls. And perhaps you're here this morning and your soul feels entirely crushed, dry, dead, and thirsty. And you're like, I, I need... I don't need to sleep. I don't need a day off. They might help a bit, but I need something way more significant than that. And the good news is that Jesus offers it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the reality is that Sabbath is not just about remembrance. It's not just about looking back at what God has done. It's actually about anticipation, about what Jesus has started to do and what ultimately he will do. Jesus is ushering in a real rest, a rest that deals with the restlessness that our soul has experienced ever since Genesis chapter 3 when we were cast out of the presence of God. I want to suggest that the reason that some of you here this morning are so restless in your souls is because you have not encountered the purpose of your existence, which is to know God, the maker of the universe, the person who made you. And our souls are restless, as Augustine said, until we find our rest in God. And Jesus offers us that, a rest for our souls. And we can experience that rest by placing our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He has done all of the work that was required, living a perfect life of obedience, the life that you and I could not live but were demanded to live, and then dying the death that we deserved in our place as sinners. He took that upon himself to set us free, to offer you soul rest. No more working. No more striving to try and prove your worth, your existence, your value. 
No more earning of the Father's approval. It's all been done. And Jesus' invitation is to come and sit and put your feet up and rest and stop striving and experience rest for your soul. But what about the one day a week? What do we do with that? Well, I want to suggest to you that Sabbath observance for us is a gift that God has given us that we can participate in creatively now as New Covenant believers, no longer bound to the requirement of the law, but creatively for the good of our souls. A period in our week where we would pause, where we would stop our work and rest and look back on the things that we've done that week and delight in the fruit of our labor and look back and go, I achieved that this week. I taught a child something. I saved a life. I created a business plan that's going to allow a family to thrive. I got involved in a litigation that has brought peace. I, whatever your vocation is, and to look back on it and delight in your work and enjoy it and enjoy that God has given you the gifts to do it and to worship. And I want to suggest to you that that practice, whatever it looks like for you creatively, that practice is an act of resistance in our world, in our relentlessly on, always going world. Resting, ceasing, pausing is an act of defiant resistance. An act of resistance. You know, um, last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, we suggested that people read the book Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I've suggested so many books at church. That one book got traction. Everyone was like, this is the best book I've ever read. It's just, I feel like this is me. He is writing to me. Why is that? Because we all feel the same. We all feel on the verge of burnout. You know, millennials are called the burnout generation because we've swallowed hook, line and sinker what Elon Musk says about changing the world. We all want to change the world. That's, that's the generation that we're a part of. But in order to achieve that, I've got to work 14 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of my life. All right, I'll give it a crack. There is something in us that is yearning to have the authority in our lives to say, stop, stop. I am ceasing from this. And to do that, it is an act of resistance against a number of things that we do over. It's an act of resistance against overworking. You know, one of the laws that's connected with the Sabbath is about not harvesting to the edges of your field, but leaving parts of your field there so that the poor and the needy can come and take from it. It's a, it's a command about overworking. It's saying, trust God. The earth, the fruitfulness of the earth is enough to sustain humanity. You don't need to keep working every single day. Trust God and stop. And an, and an act of stopping is resistance against overworking. You know, we've got research coming out at the moment that's saying due to COVID, we are now working an average of nine hours more a week than what we did prior to COVID. It's a lot. That's an extra day a week. 
But an act of resistance is to say, I am stopping my work and trusting God. Sabbath is an act of resistance against overestimating your own self-importance. This one's important because when you cannot stop, when you have to keep going and not stopping, it's often because we believe that my family, my work, this church, this team cannot possibly function without me. So if I stop, everything's going to fall apart. And I want to say to you, the only person who that is true for is God. Because He is the one who continues to sustain the universe, not you. Sabbath resistance is a resistance against overestimating our own self-importance. Sabbath rest is about resistance against over-consuming. Over-consuming. You know, often the thing that drives us to work more and do more is because we need to purchase more and upgrade more and get the next thing. Or perhaps, and maybe this is true of this de- generation and demographic specifically, Sabbath is an act of resistance against overcommitting. Against overcommitting. That's probably socially true of most of us, isn't it? Saturday morning starts, 5.30, hit the gym, good workout with your gym buddy, then a quick duck to grab a coffee after gym, hang out, chat, catch up, then rush off because you got brunch with a friend at that cafe that is Instagrammable. So you've got to get to that one. You have brunch with your friend and then um, you realize that you had also booked in a Bondi to Bronte walk with another friend from work. And so you rush over from the inner west to Bondi, spend 15 minutes trying to find a park, do the Bondi to Bronte walk, recognize that you also have a family function on that cousin of yours has a kitchen tea. So you rush off to that in between, you've somehow found time to go home, have a shower, do your hair, you know, get dressed. Uh, you're at the, the kitchen tea. And then you remember that also you have a 21st that night. And so you quickly rush to Broadway, get a present onto the 21st. And you get a text message from a friend saying, hey, we're all heading out to this bar in the city. And you're like, I can totally fit that in. And, you know, like, and then you're at the bar till 2 a.m. and you come home and you wonder why on Monday morning you are exhausted. It's because you had three hours sleep on the weekend. Perhaps Sabbath is an act of resistance against overcommitting. To say to people, actually, I don't have boundless energy. I just need to rest. And I'm going to say no. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say no. You know, the reality is we find that so hard to do because Sabbath tramples over all of our idols. That's why these things are hard to do. Sabbath tramples all over our idols of over-consuming, over-working, over-committing, over-estimating our self-importance. And Sabbath comes along and just walks all over the top of them. And we find it really hard. I find it hard to do this stuff. But the beauty of rest is that God invites us into the gift of ceasing, pausing, delighting and worship. Isn't that what we all need? What a beautiful gift that God gives us. Now, whatever that looks like for you, excuse me, whatever that looks like for you, may at the very least, I want to suggest, it looks like being here on Sunday morning to stop whatever is happening out there to come and to sit and to, to sit under the Word and to worship together and just to stop 
And the parents are like, and to put my kids in kids' church. <laughs> what a gift that is. At the very least, it should look like this, but it could creatively look like a whole lot more. What does it look like for you? The reality is the fast-paced nature of this world is forming us. It's shaping you. It's making you believe things about this world and about who you are. And Jesus wants to form us and shape us. God wants to make us into the image of Jesus. People who live, look, and love like Him. And probably one of the most countercultural, significant ways that we can do that in 2022 is to stop and delight and to rest and to worship, whatever that looks like for you. And the invitation this morning is, come, come and enjoy the gift that God has given us. Come and enjoy the rest that is on offer. And it's gonna look different for every single one of us. It's gonna look different for the student. It's gonna look different for the people who walk in the, work in the corporate world. It's gonna look different for the parents. It's gonna look different for the students and teachers. Look different for the shift workers. But for every single one of you here this morning and online, there is an invitation to come and enjoy rest, ceasing, stopping, and embracing of our finite humanness as an act of worship to the God who sustains this world and in whom we can trust. And I'll invite you to do that right now. So I'm gonna invite everyone to stand as the band comes out to lead us in worship. I'm gonna invite everyone to stand. And just take a deep breath, let's, right? This morning is good because we get to pause a bit, but as we walk out those doors, it feels like the treadmill is running at full speed, full incline, and we're expected to jump back on. And maybe if we head back out into the world from a posture of rested, joyful worship in God, we can begin to work from our rest and not work for our rest. So with every eye closed and head bowed this morning, let me pray over us. God, I thank you that you're a God who does not expect us to continue to produce, continue to output, continue to keep going until we crush ourselves. I thank you that you are the God who has set us free. You have set us, you have set us free from the slave master of this consumer-driven, work-heavy world that says we must do everything that is at our disposal, achieve everything, and you invite us to say no. My identity is in the fact that I am a beloved son or daughter of the King. Thank you that you invite us in to experience rest. And not just physical rest, but soul rest, the rest that Jesus promises us. God, I pray that you would help us to creatively build rhythms of Sabbath into our week, whatever that looks like for us, so that we can stop and delight and worship and from a deep sense of rest that you provide, head out into this world and be a radically distinct people that works from a deep soul rest that you have given us. I pray that you would stir that in us by your spirit. I thank you for this moment that we can enjoy your presence and pause from the craziness of our weeks and worship you. We do that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.